alleging that Dr. My goodness! What? <laughs> Fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Warning! The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> <laughs> JB, you start sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. Okay. I hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. So. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I like where you're going with yep. this. For some reason, the word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no moss, por favor. <laughs> this is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Yes! We are live for the third week in a row. What the fuck? Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are live if you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, March 9th, 2019 at adamsank.com. So call in and talk to us. This will be your last chance to talk to us live for about three weeks. Um, so call us at 844-825-5367 if you have something to say. Leave your ratings and reviews of the Adam Sank Show on iTunes or wherever ever else you listen. Email me at adam at adamsank.com and like the Adam Sank Show Facebook page. Also, please, you guys, it's AIDS Walk season. Donate to my AIDS Walk page. I'm uh, past $7,000 at this point. I need to get to 15000 by May 19th. So just go to adamsank.com, the same place where you've been listening to the live podcast, and there is a direct link to my AIDS Walk page. Today's show is going to be unbelievable. We have uh, documentary filmmaker Michael Rice, who has directed a, a very provocative and uh, disturbing new documentary called Party Boy, Black Diamonds in Ice Castles, which is all about uh, the prevalence of methamphetamine in the gay black male community um, and sort of how that happened and, and, uh, and where we are with it right now. But first, I need to introduce everyone's second favorite lesbian. You know her. You love her. Hilarious comedian, Joanne Filan. Hey. All right. Second favorite. It's, my mom says that, too. Wait, who's her favorite? <laughs> Anybody but me. Oh. <laughs> I don't believe it. Joanne, it's, oh. it's been a minute. I think it's been about a month since we've uh, yes. ha had you on the show. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Well. I've been, I, I have to tell you, I have been um, thirst trapping. You're obsessed with the word thirst I trap. I am, because I learned it from this show. I learned it from you. And uh, <laughs> I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> exactly. Well, but I mean, I don't know that you use it correctly. No, I don't. I time. just throw it in everywhere. I just, you know, thirst trap. What's going on, thirst trap? Are there lesbian thirst traps? Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure there are. I just, I don't know what that would be. Like pictures of your cats, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, I want that cat. Yeah. I want that pussy. <laughs> Joanne, we already have a caller. This is unusual. Uh, caller, you say what? Hello? Caller? Speak. All right, well, that uh, drove the show to a grinding halt. That was great. Um, but this is the perfect opportunity to talk about a big change coming to my ass. Oh, my God. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> From here on out, it's going to be exit only. No, um, oh. here's what's happening with the show. And this will not affect most of my listeners, because I think most of you listening uh, hear the show on iTunes after the fact. You don't listen live. But for those who do listen live, and you all should, Absolutely. Um, you're, there's going to be a paywall now. Um, if you go to dnrstudios.com as in Derek and Romaine dnrstudios.com um, you will see opportunities to subscribe to each of the many shows uh, all LGBTQ related uh, on the on the channel on the network mine being one of them it's only $6.95 a month and when you subscribe to my show, you subscribe to all the shows. So That's you don't just awesome. get listen to me live, you can listen to all of them. And there's a Meta Player app. You can download this DNR Studios app on your phone, and it's like it's always playing a brand new show. 
Oh, that's awesome. It's like having your own gay radio station. They're also, when they subscribe to you at the DNR studio, they also are subscribing to you and helping you and benefiting you. So these are real fans. Right. So it's please, like a tip jar for me yeah. as well. Oh, so come nice. on, guys. Be supportive. Subscribe yeah. at dnrstudios.com. singles. Go to the I'm Sing button and subscribe there. It's actually not working for my show just Oof. yet, but I think it will be very well, shortly. Just wait. And, just go uh, there and wait. And this isn't happening today. This is happening like in the next couple weeks. I'm, I don't have the timeline in my head, but everything will be explained in detail on my website, adamsank.com, and on the Adam Sank Show Facebook page. Okay. So stay tuned. Um, like I said, if you listen to the show after the fact, it'll still be there and it'll still be free, but it's going to take a week. So a mm. week after it premieres, that's when people will be able to hear it free. Okay. Not not a big deal. I think no. most people listen to four or five episodes at a time. Yeah. They right. tend to they Make tend to binge me, Joanne. Of course. Who so, wouldn't binge uh, your ass? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Joanne, what what are you working on? What's going on with you? Binging your ass. No. Other than that. Uh, <laughs> thirst trapping. Uh, <laughs> that's all they do. Uh, I'm uh, trying to get out on the road, do some comedy uh, out of uh, state and around the country and stuff. Where are you going to be? Going to Michigan uh, oh. next month. Going to go to actually performing at uh, this uh, hotel. It's called the Holly Hotel. It's actually a haunted hotel. What? In Michigan. because What city? A Holly Actually, Holly, Holly Michigan, Michigan mm. and uh, the hotel is haunted. So I'm not really sure what made them decide. Well, if it's haunted, we should have a comedy show. Yeah, I don't know. Will connection. you be wearing a sheet over your head? Will you be like a, a ghost <laughs> comedian? <laughs> yes, I will be scaring people, which is uh, not normally what you not do at comedy character. shows. <laughs> but for me, yes, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, and I'm people excited. can find all your appearances at. Um, upstreamcomedy.com or joannefilan.com, both J-O-A-N-N-E-F-I-L-A-N. You guys should go see her. She's hilariously funny. Thank you. I am the second funniest, uh, or second something lesbian. She's our second favorite lesbian. Second favorite. There we go. That's Romaine it. gets the top spot. I understand. And, uh, and totally. Kelly and Ann are, uh, tied for third. Okay. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to start with huge news that actually was all over. It led a lot of the newscast this week, and that is this. A second HIV-positive man has been essentially cleared of the virus. He's been more or less cured uh, after receiving a bone marrow transplant from an HIV-resistant donor. Wow, that is amazing. He received this uh, three. He received the, the bone marrow three years ago. Um, there are certain people who have this rare genetic mutation that mm -hmm. basically makes them resistant to HIV just naturally, wow. and. Apparently, if you take bone marrow from one of these people and implant mm -hmm. it in someone else who happens to be a perfect match for the bone marrow, that person then becomes a, a resistant to HIV. Um, what's, um, what's interesting or, or, or what I'm wondering is like these people that have this resistance to um, HIV, are they... Um, is that something that's always been around, or is that something almost like uh, something that's evolved over? Yeah, they've been studying it actually from the very early days because they've known that there are certain people who have contracted the virus and never gotten sick. Wow, They're called okay. long-term non-progressors. I have an ex-boyfriend who falls into this category. Oh. He literally never took a pill for wow. decades and was healthy as a horse. There's one theory that these people may have been descended from Europeans who didn't die from the Black Plague. Ooh, wow. There's a, a lot of similarities between Black Plague and HIV. They're, mm. they're similar kinds of, of viruses. And, uh, and for some reason, those people, if you were strong enough to survive the plague, which wiped out most of the world's population, then your descendants may now be resistant to HIV. That's well, only fair. This is not the kind of thing where like, we can all just go out and get bone marrow transplants. This was a very specific case um, of a guy who had other um, serious health problems and needed a bone marrow transplant. But it does, you know, create tremendous possibilities yeah. for future treatments. So it wasn't originally for um, AIDS that he got the bone marrow transplant. It was for something else? Um, I believe that is true. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> da -da 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 -da. I know the first guy had some kind of cancer, okay. which is why he got the bone marrow uh, okay, yes. So um, the man had contracted HIV in 2003 and in 2012 was also diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, okay. In 2016, when he was very sick with cancer, doctors decided to seek a transplant match for him. 
Um, so yeah, this is not, again, not something that's, we can all just get out, go out and get, but it's, it's incredible to be cured of HIV. And we now have two cases where this has happened. Meanwhile, uh, breaking news out of USC, the University of Southern California, more than 20 men, um, are accusing a university doctor of performing unnecessary rectal exams on them. Yeah, that's... The doctor's name was Dr. Dennis Kelly, and uh, here's what uh, the plaintiff's attorney is saying about the case. The acts performed by Dr. Kelly included asking young men to disrobe in front of him without providing any privacy or covering, um, asking them to climb onto an examination table with their bare buttocks in the air, um, and then anally penetrated them, which he insisted was a necessary part of their examinations. When she says anally penetrated, he didn't rape them, apparently, but I think with his fingers. Oh, like a digital. Or some kind of medical object. Some of these guys were openly gay, Joanne, and um, one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit says that Kelly asked him whether he had ever had unprotected anal sex, and when the guy said, yes, I have, Dr. Kelly told him it was dirty. Oh, my God. So this was like a real sick fuck, allegedly. And hadn't they made uh, the complaints and, and they went basically ignored? Yeah, well, they claim that they reported uh, all of this to the university and, the U- and that USC actively and deliberately failed to investigate, discipline, or address Dr. Kelly's sexually abusive and discriminatory behavior and instead continued to employ him for years. And, you know, some of these guys would say, like, listen— I want another doctor. Like they'd go to the university right. health system and they'd be like, I, I, can't, I don't want like this guy. And they'd be told he's the only one that specializes in men's health. Oh my God. That's insane. It's like when it's a doctor, it's, you know, when you're at the doctor and you just do whatever they tell right. you. Right. It's so vulnerable. You're so yeah. vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, no doctor just, has ever wanted to penetrate me. I, uh, can't, for no I, reason. Well, for <laughs> I no, I've never had that uh, issue myself. Luckily, either. Yeah. I I do have two doctors that have been inside oh. me, but they were supposed to be. Oh, that's yeah, true. Oh, actually, all right. So I guess I've procedure. had a doctor in, inside <laughs> me too. <laughs> Your gyno. Do you yeah, hate, yeah. Do you hate going to the gyno? Oh, of course. Why? Well, no, I yeah, I just enjoy it. You know, I mean, is it like the worst part of being a woman? Chat with somebody when they just take both arms and shove them right. <laughs> Both arms. Yeah, just right up into the elbow. and uh, That doesn't seem right. Makes a puppet out of me. No. <laughs> it's a real, you know, if I don't answer quickly enough, she'll answer for me. Just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no, but is it the worst part of being a woman, would you say? Uh, that or uh, mammograms. That's a oh, hellish, yeah. god-awful thing. They but, squeeze your titties in yeah, that metal clamp. Take it. No, it's like glass like it's like taking a window and then dropping that on you uh, and then putting another window (laughs) you would think they'd come up with a better way uh, in 2019 of doing that shouldn't there be like a laser that they can just wave over your boob and well they do that too there's a extensive especially if you have uh what they call dense breasts and i I hope it's got nothing to do with them not being bright do you have dense (laughs) breasts breasts. this is breaking news (laughs) breaking news joanne Filan has dense breasts. <laughs> oh, I just tried to hit the trumpet fan. But they have a great personality. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I've, they've always looked dense to me, but, <laughs> but I didn't want to say anything. It's, they're good. They're great at parties. They're fun. They just don't have a, a really good uh, grasp on a lot of intellectual stuff. They're a little I guess. slow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that you're getting them examined regularly because, yeah. uh, you know, you want to prevent... Uh, Breast cancer. Yes. And vag cancer. That's why you got to right. go to the, to the gyno. The whole bit. Well, this has no, nothing to do with what we were just talking no. about. <laughs> but uh, in Brazil, they now have a very scary uh, far right-wing president named Jair Bolsonaro. I don't speak Portuguese, so I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think it's Jair, J-A-I-R. Um, this guy's like a Donald Trump, but worse, if that's mm-hmm. possible. And... So in Brazil, they've been having Carnival, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like in New Orleans where they have right. Mardi Gras. Right. Um, and there's, it's very gay. Brazil has been a very gay-friendly culture for years. This dude is like super anti-gay. And so he tweeted on his Twitter video of two gay men on a platform during Carnival performing sex 
And then one of them starts peeing on the other. Oh. And this wasn't a positive thing. He says Britain has been destroyed by decades of governments with a socialist slant. Uh, I don't fear, feel comfortable showing it, but we have to expose the truth so the population can be aware and always set their priorities. This is why many street carnival groups, this is what many street carnival groups have become in Brazil. He tweeted this to 34 million followers. Now, Trump has tweeted a lot of crazy shit, <laughs> yeah. but I have a hard time imagining he would tweet a video of a guy pissing on another guy. No, it should just be a video of a girl pissing on him. That's exactly right. Right. <laughs> We're waiting for that video. Yes. That's a, such a loud urination. That is I feel a like long that's actually video. That, that, actually, all of our sounds are really loud and clear since Romaine did these meter changes. Oh, thank so, you, Romaine. Yeah, that's everything's covered out real end. crystal. But that sounds like a fire hose. <laughs> it's the same one we always use. Anyway, I always respond to Donald Trump's tweets, always, every single day. I'm like, fuck you, you're a piece of shit, you're a racist asshole. I just go off. So I decided to respond to J Jair Bolsonaro of Brazil, and I, I Googled translated from uh, English to Portuguese nice. and I said uh, thank you Mr. President and how many times did you watch this video and jerk <laughs> off to it before you tweeted it maybe he was in the video <laughs> and now I'm uh, I've been marked for death <laughs> <laughs> by President Bolsonaro's private death squad nice none of Add our story <laughs> stick it in here I am how is that appropriate <laughs> Because I just thought your ass was just in, the, just in the wind. My ass is open to the wind waiting to be targeted yep. by <laughs> President Bolsonaro. Mm -hmm. By the way, I don't condone um, pissing on each other in during a public carnival. I think that's probably a mistake. Um, okay. Or any kind of public sex. I think... I think it's like, is well, it the sex or the, the pissing on someone? Well, both. I mean, they're, the two of them are very... like They're basically mm -hmm. naked. You know, right. they're wearing like a like thongs and stuff and mm -hmm. one is like blowing the other and then he pees on him and they're on a platform where everyone can see them. Mm -hmm. I feel like with our LGBTQ pride festivals, if people want to dress in slutty right. outfits, that's fine. I may have been mm -hmm. guilty of that myself, <laughs> but don't actually fuck because then you're just providing fodder for all those right-wing assholes exactly. who can take pictures exactly. and video and be like, look at these disgusting. Degenerates. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. has nothing to do with pride. Right. You know, I no. mean, I'm proud to be a gay man, but not because someone pees on me exactly See, i'm confused on why they're peeing on each other i'm actually having sex in public uh, usually when that happens it's usually at a one of those parties like Folsom. yeah like it's one of those parties and people get paid to actually do these to, to, to do these performances but to do publicly and I, I guess i don't know the background of why they were doing it in public it's i just, think they're just pigs i think they're attention-seeking pigs oof. and they get off on uh, having sex and having people watch them. There's a lot of uh, exhibitionists out there. Girl. Joanne is one of them. Exactly. She I takes out those you. dense tits. I do. <laughs> I have chance. my mammograms outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> you can charge tickets. <laughs> I do. I'm like, can we go out to the park and do this? It's a really beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> you were telling us the last time you were on the show that you won't even change in the locker room in front of other women. That's how yeah. much you don't want to show your tits. Absolutely. Well, speaking of men having sex in public... Andy Cohen, <laughs> uh, as everyone knows, has recently adopted a, or maybe I think he is the biological father yeah, with a surrogate, a surrogate. Okay. okay, of a baby boy, and shortly after that, he was spotted on Grindr. <clears throat> um, allegedly, Page Six reports that the 50-year-old Bravo executives is back on both Scruff and Grindr, um, using a picture of his chest as the main image and referring to himself as Coach Taylor. <laughs> Coach Taylor? As in Friday Night Lights. Oh. Kyle Chandler's character. Yeah. Best show ever, by the way. Okay. Uh, so this is all completely alleged. A source tells right. Page Six this. And Twitter, like, freaked out over this. Everyone was like, Andy Cohen, why don't you spend some time with your baby? You fuck. <laughs> like, well, instead of looking for dick, why don't you fucking be a father? And you're disgusting. And you're a whore. And... Wow. And what's your number? And what's your number? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like, first of all, who knows if this is really him? Yeah, I thought he Heads actually up. said. Daylight savings what the is fuck is that? JP is having a stroke. <laughs> what know, was that? Flash forward an hour. That keep happening on, on, the, on one of the clips. I'm just very, very frustrated. We have gremlins in the <sighs> studio. It's daylight Are you okay? saving gremlins. Uh, okay. All right. 
Anyway, I just mm-hmm. feel like if he is on Grinder, who gives a fuck? Are, are parents think, not allowed to have sex lives? Right, but I think he said that he's not on Grinder, but he's on Tinder, which I don't know. If you guys want to know realty, he was on the night that his baby was born. He just came from partying, and he was high as a motherfucking guy. Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Allegedly, how yes. do we know this? Because we have shows that have reporters on this DNR network. What show Naughty reported but that? Nice. Mm-hmm. Naughty but Nice and Rob Shooter. He's got some calibers. All right. So this is up. according to Rob Shooter. I don't want to get sued Ro- Ro- by or Andy Rob Cohen yes. or Bravo. Right. I don't know if right. he's done drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Kathy Griffin's Kathy Griffin, has, yeah. But, uh, She's drugs. But again, I don't care. I don't care if he uses drugs. I don't care if he's on Grinder. Listen, Andy Cohen, most people think he's an asshole. I've never met him. I don't. I don't. I don't really have an opinion. I yeah. I don't know. I don't know that much about him. But he's got like fifty million dollars. I'm sure mm-hmm. there is a very good nanny or someone who's with the child mm-hmm. while Andy yeah. Cohen's out fucking. Yeah, on, I don't on think he left him in the car. You so know, whatever. With like the windows down. I just think people need to to not always jump on someone just for being sexual. Yeah. Right. Unless they're out in public peeing on each other. Well, right? that does That's cross a line. Where we go, a That's little, where we yeah. draw the line. Mm-hmm. There's grinder, and then there's public peeing during carnival in and Brazil. Brazil. Mm-hmm. I think we all agree. X. Yep, absolutely. Well, speaking of grinder, this is this week's cocktails and cock talk story. Hit it, JB. And now, time for another stupid story from cocktails at cocktalk.com. Yeah, suck my cock. According to Cocktails and Cock Talk, which conducts highly unscientific surveys, uh, 84% of, uh, wait, I have that wrong, 56.5% of Grindr users believe they can find love on the dating app. Oh, 56%. More than half. Wow. JB, is my level a little low? I just feel like I'm shouting today to to hear myself. No, you're fine. Just checking. Uh, Oh, we have a phone call. Let's take the call and then we'll talk about this story. Caller, you say what? Hey, um, are those you? Oh, this is Charles from Cornhole. Hi, Charles. Hi, Charles. Uh, did the did the uh, students at USC check to make sure they haven't ended up on a porn tube video? Mm. Well, it is there possible. Are, there are channels called uh, uh, College Jock dot com, or which of course Charles like knows about. Well, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. I've got it up on the laptop right now. But it's, it's <laughs> Charles, do you jerk off to, to college men having physicals? Uh, I've been known to do things of a similar nature, yeah. I don't know that that would turn me on unless like, it led to actual sucking and fucking, you know? I don't just want to see well, people getting examined. Yeah, and then they Well, well actually, that, that, these, these YouTube videos do have a happy ending. So, you know, it, it, happy it, 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 well, meaning somebody comes. Okay. So, right. That sort of, yeah. In, in, in the world of uh, adult uh, massage and physical therapy, uh, if you bring somebody to climax, it's called a happy ending. So, yes. Well, if these guys were on video, God forbid, they, their lawsuit just got a lot uh, more lucrative. Yes. Well, I would suggest they, you know, Take a look, see. But it seems to me, Charles, that on those on those Pornhub videos like those, there it's all set up. It's all it's clearly fake. You know, it's fake when you're seeing it, uh, right? I mean, do you believe? Because if you're actually watching unsuspecting people getting physical examinations, then you're probably breaking the law. And whoever made the video definitely is. Yeah, no, I don't. I I know that the videos that I'm referring to are absolutely set up. The the examining room is always the same, and the doctor is pretty much always the same. Recognize the examining room. The doctor's Uh, always hot. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, and he, you know, he gets to take his clothes off too. So as doctors do. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's just just it's probably worth looking just to make sure that they aren't. more exposed than they thought well, they were. As our official porn correspondent, Charles, why don't you do the research and get yeah, back to us if you find any of those USC students <laughs> on porn. Right. What's a real funny anecdote, just we were talking about the pain of mammograms yes. and, and gyno visits. My, my straight, 50-something heterosexual primary care physician has a gay son who mm-hmm. is an adult, and he absolutely... You can tell whenever he does a digital rectal examination for my prostate that he's, he wants to just get in and out as quickly as possible because he absolutely hates it. And then well, he practically 
Then he practically hurls a box of tissues at you so you can clean up afterwards. I love that. I love when they hand you the tissue and they're like, okay, you can wipe now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Only only he'll he'll just whip them out of the Kleenex box. Just boom, 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 boom. It's like, doctor, doctor, I don't need that many of them. Is this the father or the son? This is the father, is is my physician. But why does it matter that he has a gay son? Oh, just because I thought you'd find it rather interesting about the fact he's gay. a cool Bring it back. And it's a callback to the gayness. Yeah, well, and he gave me a referral to a, 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 a specialist to investigate PrEP. And the uh, only problem with PrEP is uh, apparently it, it has complications that result for some people in uh, osteoporosis, right. which I already, I already have. Charles, I'm so sorry. i got to let you go. We're yeah, running go. late. I totally forgot yeah. to do something I was supposed to do earlier. But thank you for calling in, and keep your eye out for those physicals. <laughs> yeah, I sure will. Talk to you later. Bye, Charles. Bye. Hey, fuck this grinder story. I totally mm-hmm. forgot. We were supposed to have a RuPaul's Drag Race update Yay. on tape from our RuPaul's Drag Race correspondent, Ryan Frostig. Of course, he never got to it. So mm-hmm. we don't have that. But we do have, live in studio, the Frost Pig himself, Ryan Frostick. Shantae, you stay. Hello, hello. Ryan, a rare me. appearance. I totally forgot about you. You're so quiet over here. <laughs> Tell us uh, your thoughts on the first two episodes of season 11. Well, uh, though I do love this show, everyone knows that. It's my favorite show on television. I will say that the season premiere was a miss for me. Mm. The problem with the show now that it's reached the mainstream is that when the queens enter the workroom for the first time, they're so obsessed with creating and establishing a brand that nothing feels authentic. Nothing feels genuine. It just feels like they they come up with these terrible catchphrases. They're all looking (laughs) for their Miss Vanjie moment. Exactly. And they want want to sell t-shirts and they want to have like a career, which they're going to have a career no matter what. And if you want... If you want the audience to connect with you, you just have to be yourself. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, turn a fierce look or, you know, like say funny things. But if you're going in and that's your like primary focus, we're going to see right through you. So mm-hmm. I feel like most of these queens are just like watered down, you know, like versions of past queens. Uh-huh. I, I see like uh, the new Bibi Zahara Benet, but like less talented. And I see... Um, like a like a Sharon Needles, but oh, not no way, not in the same way that Sharon Needles. Don't you think part of this rye is that after so many seasons, all of the greatest drag queens in the country have already been on, and now we're kind of seeing second and third string. It's like there aren't totally. that many yeah. great drag queens. And right. I also think that because it's been ten years, there's this group of drag queens that feel very resentful towards this program because like they haven't made it. So now, like, you know, there are some queens in New York that are very like, I will never do Drag Race. And it's not because they don't want to do Drag Race. It's because they haven't yet. So they yeah. feel like it's kind of like they now want to have this power. Like, I'm not going to do it. Well, and a lot of the ones who have done it seem to have a lot of feelings about it and about yeah. RuPaul. Like, they're not all happy with right. their right. experience yes. or the aftermath. It's mm-hmm. kind of this thing that's just, it's become too popular. Right. Maybe. I mean, I don't think we've ever... Mainstream. And I don't know if it's just because, like, we are in that world. Like, as gay people, we just, like, right. we're more exposed to it. But I just don't think there's ever been a reality show that's had... I mean, maybe, like, American Idol, of course, and... Um, I don't know. It just it has this, like, crazy um, mainstream sort of, like, overload. Well, I think it's maybe the most culturally relevant... Yes. Reality show of all time. I don't know of any reality show that's changed our culture as much as it, right. it, taking this underground art form that really only the gay community was familiar with. And now it, there's millions of teenage girls watching it and cheering right. for their favorite queen. And right. but that's that really is, is a seismic shift. But also yeah. because of the changes that we've seen in social media over the past decade, you know, it's like I think a, another thing that these queens are probably feeling when they go to film the show is that. These 12-year-old girls from wherever, bumfuck nowhere, Mm -hmm. are going to be relentless. And they're going to criticize every single move, every single shade, piece of shade that's thrown. They are so vicious online. And I think that they're concerned that if they are too, I don't know, vulnerable, that they're going to um, 
like get a lot of backlash. So maybe they're trying to manufacture and produce themselves so that like they'll get a good edit and they can just kind of get out with no sort of like controversy. It does seem like drag race fans are the cuntiest fans on earth. They're nasty. But drag queens are like the the top of the shade, you know, like you can't cut. They set the tone. And but but some of them really you know? try to be like good people, and I yes. still feel like they're trashed. Most of by everyone. Also, yeah. like most of the drag race fans are not drag queens. No. So it's like yeah. you know I have all my opinions about drag and about like the show, but at the end of the day, I'm not a drag queen, and I yeah. could never do what these queens do. So you like, could be a fierce spirited queen. Well, maybe one day. Ryan, without giving away any spoilers, because I have not seen episode two myself yes. yet, uh, who's going to win? Your prediction. I really feel like it will either be. Evie Oddly, um, who is from Denver. She's really cool. She's really punk and, and exciting. Brooklyn Heights is also a mm-hmm. contender. She's a Miss Continental. Mm. Um, she's just like a, she's just the full package. And honestly, I'm rooting for Miss Vanjie. She Miss really has Vangie. come back. Miss Vanjie. She, she <laughs> really has come back and she, um, I think she's more focused. I think she knows what she what her silhouette is. She's not giving uh, flowers and Barbie dolls anymore. She has a cinched waist. and She's definitely a character. She's a character. She's personality and she feels real. She feels like a real person. Um, So yeah. Well, we will be watching intently and getting regular updates from you. And I thank you for coming in and doing it. Now go home and walk my dog. I will. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Love you. Bye. All right, so I want to do one more, uh, two more quick stories, then the Pride update, then our fabulous guest. Um, Joanne, the internet was abuzz this week Uh with news that Mr. Rogers, as in the Mr. Rogers, Mm -hmm. was bisexual. I heard that. Uh, There was a a 2018 biography by a guy named Maxwell King called The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers. And in that book, he says, quote, in conversation with one of his friends, the openly gay Dr. William Hirsch, Fred Rogers himself concluded that if sexuality was measured on a scale of one to ten, and this is a quote within a quote, mm-hmm. well, you know, I must be right smack in the middle because I have found men attractive, excuse me, because I have found women attractive and I have found men attractive. See, now, if of all things, I would have thought he would have been more asexual than a whole spectrum of sex. He seems the least sex, it's... Puppets, you know, there's puppets. Well, it's funny you mention those puppets because Mr. Rogers, people don't know this, he was the voice of every one of those puppets. And uh, I found this clip of him as Henrietta Pussycat. Take a listen to this. Meow, meow, meow. That's meow clean. Meow want meow cheer. Meow bull meow wrong. Meow. And I'm sorry, but you should have told me how you felt. Meow did tell meow. Meow meow am telling meow. Meow meow mad. Meow don't like bossy friends meow. Meow go away. I mean, does that man sound like anything but a red-blooded heterosexual to you? There's no way he was bi. Yeah, now we know what his fights with his wife must have sounded like. (laughs) (laughs) Stop with the damn meow! meow. You're (laughs) taking all my blankets, you cunt. Meow meow meow. Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. I definitely get a either asexual, like you're mm-hmm. saying, or sexually fluid. Yeah, the whole pansexual kind of thing. He was a gentle man. He was. And a gentleman. Yes, I, he would not pee on you. That brings us to our LGBTQ Pride update, and I have huge news, Joanne. Ooh. Instead of our shitty generic music that we've been playing for the last year, we now have an actual song by none other than Anne Steele. Ooh. Co-host of the I Love My Wife podcast and fabulous singer and recording artist. Hit it, JB. So this is Love Can Take Us There from Anne's brand new album, Made Out of Stars. We are going to be playing this every week. Anne has graciously allowed us to use it to tell you where LGBTQ pride is happening all over the country. I love it. And this coming week, it's happening nowhere. That's great. Love I just is wanted nowhere. to play the song. Uh, pride does happen throughout the year, as we know, because, uh, for instance, in Australia and New Zealand, it's summertime and they just had a bunch of pride festivals down there. But the next pride festivals are not until April. Mm. However, I'm going to play this song every week Yay. because I fucking love it. Turn it up, JB. I want to hear a little more. Ooh, I feel 
You guys should download that and you download the whole album. I listen to it every day on my way to work. It's That's just, awesome. it's fa- fabulous. And, uh, and also don't miss the, I love my wife podcast mm-hmm. with Ann Steele and Kelly Carpenter. All right. Finally, it's time for our guest segment. And our guest today is the director of a compelling new documentary about meth use in the gay African-American community. The film has been an official selection in a number of film festivals and took the excellence in film award at the black pride heritage awards it's entitled Party Boy, Black Diamonds in Ice Castles. Here's a clip. Crystal meth is impacting the black gay community, but nobody wants to admit it. When we think of crystal meth, we think of it as really impacting white men, gay white men, and we don't think of it as ours. We need to take a step back and own what's happening on what we see and what we don't see, and we need to talk about it because it's here, it's impacting us. It's unfortunate because when we start to really see the issue, it's when an individual or a person who's addicted and who's suffering hits rock bottom. Please welcome to the Adam Sank Show director, Michael Rice. Hey guys. Michael. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I was disappointed. I wanted to join in on the Mr. Rogers conversation. <laughs> uh, please do. That was a yes. staple of my childhood. Tell us, yeah, tell us what you think. Tell us, meow. I, you know what? I don't care about Mr. Rogers' sexuality. All I cared was that make-believe land, and I used mm-hmm. to hate the episodes where he just stayed in this house. <laughs> yeah, because you wanted my, yeah. make-believe. I wanted make-believe land, mm-hmm. especially that chick that was like a bitch with the red nose and the cherry cheeks. Oh, yeah. What was her name? <laughs> Queen or the, 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 the king, king Friday's wife? King Friday's no, wife. no, no, no. She Hell stayed yeah. in, a, in a pinwheel, like a, a house that turned. Yeah, what was that? You know that? what I'm talking no. about? No. But do you know, you he, look that up. not okay. only did he voice those puppets, I think he made all those puppets himself. Yeah. They were very low Nobody rent. Nobody told yeah. him, though, that, that, that they could make him moving mouths. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that the, that uh, Henrietta Pussycat's name was Meow Meow. I thought it was Princess Meow Meow, I but it's it not. It's too. Henrietta Pussycat. I thought, yeah. yeah. Anyway, on to more serious matters. <laughs> more serious matters. Michael, Lady what? Elaine. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lady Elaine. Was it Lady Elaine? <laughs> that was her name. It was Lady Elaine. Yes, Lady oh, Elaine. Oh, she was very harsh and critical. <laughs> well done, sorry. Joanne. She could have been a contestant on RuPaul's Drag mm-hmm. Race. <laughs> Michael, what inspired you to make Party Boy? Okay, so the documentary Party Boy is about crystal meth addiction among black and brown queer communities and the demographics that affect them and things of that nature. But what really had me create Party Boy was personal experience. I had friends, I will say around 2011 and 12, I had a friend or actually a guy first that I really liked and he was on crystal meth, but I had no idea at the time what it was. And so... He told me to pick him up uh, one day, and, and I hadn't seen him in months. And he basically was emaciated as far as his uh, physical appearance. And, you know, I fed him, and then he kind of, like, disappeared, and I never saw him again. And I said, that was so odd. I never had nothing like that happen in my life. And I was like, is, is this crack cocaine? But he said no. And then I started to notice the shift in online terminology, like, you know, BGC, Black Gay Chat, Grinder, Jack, Scruff, and I started seeing uh, emojis and things that proliferated meth. And capital T's meaning Tina, which is the street name for crystal meth, mm-hmm. uh, as well as DUP and P, which stands for partying and play, which can go to very, you know, elevations of different forms of partying, but mostly it's stating crystal meth itself. And so um, my friend became addicted. I started seeing tons of people becoming addicted tons of people the online terminology started changing people started saying all the time do you party and play and at first when they said do you party and play um or do you party i was like yeah you know sometimes when i'm not tired you know i'm not from mm. off of work you know i don't mind part it's like no you thought you, it meant like going to a, going yeah. to a club yeah. hey, we're having a good time oh. no they were stating that it meant you know do you participate in crystal meth And that's when I started saying, wow, something is really happening in my community. Because historically, as far as the black and brown community, the drugs of choice um, in our queer black community have mostly been uh, marijuana and alcohol, uh, with the exception of, you know, the... uh, 
late 80s and 90s crack epidemic that hit all minorities and, and, and everyone in the United States during that time period. Right, it wasn't gay specific. It just wasn't gay specific. Right. But during this time, especially like we talk about 18, 20 years later from the crack epidemic, we have this surge of meth uh, of a meth epidemic that has filtered into the black and brown community. And I'm thinking to myself as a guy in his 30s, where the hell did this come from? And how did it get here? And so I said, you know what? Let me use my art, let me use my gift as a film director to curate a piece of work that could expose what's happening to my community out to the world. So one day I saw a quote by my, uh, not Maya Angelou, but I saw a quote by Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. And it said, it's an artist's duty to speak of the times. And I said, well, let me do that as a director. I'm going to speak at the time, and I'm going to tell people what's happening in my neighborhood. It's so important. We talk yeah. on this show a lot about the meth epidemic because I, I know so many people uh, who have been touched by it. I have a lot of friends, ex-boyfriends, who are dead, uh, and no one talks about it. It's like, oh, we're so sorry that he, he passed, and we miss him so much, and no one will say how he died. Mm -hmm. So it's just it just keeps happening, and in your film... Um, you bring this up that there's such shame and stigma around even discussing it and yet you somehow were able to interview people who were using in front of you in front of your cameras they're actually right. smoking meth yeah it's very disturbing whenever I watch that in, in any kind of um, addiction movie or TV show I'm always like stop please stop yeah, you know but yeah. how did you get them to trust you enough that they would just use in front of you like that well, first of all, as an artist, as a film director, I have a really big, uh, great integrity with myself. So it's about having integrity as an artist and making sure that if this was me, what I want the individual to respect me. It's not about being salacious and, oh, I'm a mm -hmm. film director. I'm just going to get these people and people are going to rave about it. No, I interviewed over 102. <laughs> so specific, right? 102. Yeah. <laughs> I interviewed literally over 102 individuals that I uh, found on Grinder, that I found on Adam for Adam, and that I found at a couple gay bars uh, around the Chelsea and Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn area. And the individuals, I got a lot of people was like, you know what? Fuck you. Block, block, block. But then mm -hmm. I had some people email me later and said, I thought about, you know, what you said to me. And I think I want to tell my story. So out of 102 people, I end up talking to about 20 out of the 20. It narrowed down to about five individuals that I felt comfortable, that felt that they were cognitive that, OK, I'm doing a documentary and this is going to be in the sphere in, in online media. You know, people are going to see this. And I spoke to those individuals for weeks. We went back and forth in conversations and they want to tell their story. And I said, I will tell your story. So they invited me in. Uh, trust me, there were times where I was challenged uh, in filming mm -hmm. with my crew and I had to think about the safety of my crew. And there were times where things were going on sexually and the crew popped up on the time we were supposed to pop up and we had to wait outside the door you know, in order to film. But the thing is, these people still want to tell their story. And I wanted to get the true raw essence of what's going on, especially when it dealt with black and brown folks, especially black gay men or young black gay men or black gay millennials using crystal meth, because I had seen a, a proliferation of this within that particular demographic. You mentioned uh, a, a lot of the film is focused on the death of a young man named Jamel Moore. Yes who died under uh, very mysterious circumstances at the home of a, of a wealthy political donor in West Hollywood named Ed Buck. Who is Ed Buck and why is he important to this story? Edward Bernard Buck, otherwise known in the media as Ed Buck, serial predator, is a mega donor to the California Democratic Party. He is also an LGBT and animal rights activist in West Hollywood. And what really struck me with this story, especially coming being a black man and being a gay black man on top of that is that he had two black bodies in his house and he was never even taken down for questioning. But if it was me on the other hand and I had two white gay men or two white gay mm. escorts in my home, I possibly would have been arrested on, on the spot and questions asked later. And so we right. feel that there's an injustice with this. And so Ed Buck has gotten off. He continues to pray and be online, especially Adam for Adam. And, and use that format to lure mostly young men under the age of 30, young black men under the age of 30, to participate in meth use. And if you do your research, uh, Jamel Moore even stated that Ed Buck is the gentleman 
who got me addicted to crystal meth. Oh now let's God. let's be clear about a couple of things. First of all, these are all allegations. Yeah. The police haven't officially charged him with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, some say there hasn't been any kind of investigation. Others say there may be in investigations beginning. But but just to be clear about what happened, on two separate occasions, a gay black man was found dead of a drug overdose in Ed Buck's apartment. Yes. And the the allegation, the belief, is that Ed Buck has some kind of fetish involving shooting up black men with meth or ha- or making them encouraging them to shoot themselves up mm-hmm. to the point where they overdose and die. Yes. And there's something with long johns and photographs. Yeah. What What is that? So I had the opportunity within the documentary to interview Jamel Moore's mother, Letitia Nixon, who has been a strong advocate uh, for Jamel Moore and also Timothy Ding during this um, hardship and during this time, as well as the other activists, uh, Jerome Kitchen and Jasmine Canick, which have been so dear to Miss Nixon and fighting for the justice of Jamel Moore. But in interviewing his mother, she details exactly what her son said, as well as his his diary stating, which is factual, his diary does state that he uh, states that Ed Buck shot him up with crystal meth. But the mother also explained that when her son was telling him about the situation is that he wasn't necessarily in it for the act of intercourse for sex, that his grat- sexual gratification came from seeing them use meth and to see how much they can endure and to how, how much they can take before it's too much. Now, to me, that becomes something sick something sinister and something insidious. It's like you know, conducting human experiments. It's like it's, it's, human, that's Nazi shit. Right. It, it is. It is. You know. Exactly. And so I thought it was really disgusting. And one of his fetishes was when you come through his door, you have to take off your street clothes and put on the clothes that he lays out for you, which in most cases I think is a red shirt and white long johns with white, white tube socks. And you have to wear that in order to participate in the act. Now, take in mind, I know a lot of people are saying like, well, why should we feel sorry for these individuals? I mean, there's a lot of people that go through circumstances. We're human beings. We're complex. You know, when we talk about escorts and sex workers and things of that nature, I don't want to just judge everyone hands down and make it seem like they're they're less than a person. Jamel was a person. Jamel was an individual. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a, a friend to many, many individuals. But a lot of times we're complex as human beings and we go through hardships. You know, I'm not make, trying to make an excuse for everyone, but this young man saw a way, especially when he was at a time where he was homeless and uh, in L.A. and he was away from his family, that it was a come up. It was a way for me to, you know, keep living and eating. And so probably what he didn't know was the extent of what it was going to come to, especially when it came to dealing with ending his life. Well, one of the more tragic aspects of his story as his mother explains, is that he had left L.A. He had gotten out of there and away from Mr. Buck mm-hmm. and then decided to return. And on the day he returned, that was the, the day that he died. he died. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's it's awful. just, and yeah. she tried to keep him from, from going yeah. back. She right. said, don't go back. Right. You make some very bold, I'm going to call them suggestions. Mm-hmm. In, it, uh, to me, it seemed, in your in your movie, to the effect that Meth started out as a as a white gay man's drug and was intentionally inflicted on the black and brown communities to create addiction, to create control, domination and so forth. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that? So this is this is what I state. And I'm unapologetic in this movement because this has been a history that has happened in our country as far as black fetishization of black men sexually. That's number one. And we can't run away from that aspect, especially when we talk about BBC and things that deal with black men. Big, I mean, big these, black cock. Big black right. cock. Yeah. Joanne yeah. 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 She's not. <laughs> okay. I was like, the she's BBC? Not, yeah. She's not familiar with the lingo. <laughs> but one, one thing about me, you know, I grew up in a, in a multi diverse and multiracial school and neighborhood growing up from Kansas and Texas, now living in New York. I don't put any, I don't put an entire race into a monolith. I don't I do not believe that all heterosexual white men, bisexual white men or gay white men are predators that are using meth and that are seeking intentionally to get black gay populations addicted. But I will tell you this. Historically, if we look at crystal methamphetamine, historically, 
created by Japanese scientists, you know, during the World War II, used by kamikaze pilots, also German German soldiers, and suicide right, they wanted missions. To create, they wanted to create sort of su wanted, superhuman super, fighters. Right, superhuman right. fighters that wouldn't mind giving their life. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of time when they used that amphetamine and the crystal methamphetamine, which was turned after the amphetamine, it would give them enough energy, it would give them enough um um, enough energy to be able to do what they have to do and like kamikaze pilots kill themselves to get the job done. Uh, during that time, U.S. soldiers also were getting addicted to crystal methamphetamine. They, for somehow there was an exchange and they brought it back to the U.S. It became extremely prevalent within the West Coast in California. Then it really started to migrate, uh, especially during the AIDS epidemic, into the white communities, especially L.A. and San Francisco. From that time, it started to really grow into the Midwest where we started seeing meth labs pop up all over from Kentucky to South Dakota and Tennessee. And then we started to see the big migration move over into the East Coast. We're talking about in the early 2000s, and then it died down for a little bit. When meth surge made its emergence again, it really started happening in the mid-2000s and in the black gay community around 2011 and 12. So I'm not going to say that these bisexual and gay white men were intentionally trying to put meth out there, but like what we all I will got, say, got together and they have held a meeting and said they're going to yeah, do. They have the financial means in order to participate in meth. Now we look at the classism aspect. Black Americans, uh, black gay guys, were mainly doing alcohol and weed. There was a classism associated with that kind of drug. Where you had white guys who were doing these raves at this time, where they were doing they were doing uh, crystal meth, they were doing cocaine, they were doing these drugs were expensive, so they weren't necessarily popular in the black gay community. But what happened is we started to get a cross-cultural uh, connection between the two races, especially when it came to black folks partying in spaces where white folks partied. And we had that cross-cultural intersection. Then the introduction possibly began, especially when it came to black escorts. Now, black escorts have always been prevalent in the white uh, gay enclaves uh, for some sexual gratification and it became a trend mm. now I'm not saying all white men were doing this I'm saying it became a trend within a certain subgroup of white men that were using crystal meth when a stigma became attached to it they stopped doing it publicly and in these big raves and things of this nature they started going underground and started having house party in small homes and also in the bathhouses and then you started getting that subgroup meet with the black uh, subgroup of sex workers and they connected. And what happened was I felt that it was a segue that led Crystal Meth to come into the black gay community. Now, the 102 people that I've interviewed in the, um, in the research that I've done in the past three years, majority of the individuals who said they were uh, addicted to Crystal Meth were introduced to it by a significant other. 80% of those individuals that I interviewed said their significant other was a sex worker or an escort. Hmm who became addicted from from going to Wall Street, the Upper right. East from Side, a white John. Chelsea, right. from a white John right. who had the money and said, I will pay you more money if you party with us. And it got to a point so bad to where they would care more about the drug than the money. And then so once, now I don't have to pay you. I just have, have to get to you high. So now you, that became yeah. a trend within that certain subgroup of white gay men that wants these black escorts. We can get anybody we want to. And because the, the drug is so strong, those individuals will go back and bring more people. I get it. You've drawn a very clear line and I yes. see it. I really do see it because we've talked on this show a lot about the. Uh, about sexual racism, about this mm -hmm. idea of like, oh, you know, I love having sex with black guys and what's wrong with that? Well, when it's a fetish, then you're not seeing the individual anymore. You're just seeing the, the racial aspects and you're, there's a dehumanization that goes on. Mm -hmm. if, if, if you're just a sexual object to me because you're a black guy and that's what turns me on, now I can do whatever I want with you. And, and you have an escort in the film who's very compelling, I forget his name, who you talk to a lot, um, the guy with the long hair. Michael. Yeah. Michael mm -hmm. uh, talks about how when, as an escort, he would go into these situations thinking he had all the power. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it was the white John who had all the power mm -hmm. and was pulling all the strings and he didn't even realize he was being manipulated until it was too late. Right. And that he was also recruited to recruit other individual, other black um, individuals to come and please and satiate the desires of these white men who were a lot of times well to do um, upper middle class or wealthy. And, you know, we started seeing a domino effect and now 
we don't even need the white Johns anymore because we have a certain demographic of black gay guys in the community, which are usually early millennials or Gen Z types that are now selling it themselves to their own demographic. Right. So they don't necessarily so self perpetuating. They don't have to go right. back to Manhattan. They don't have to go to Queens. They can just stay in their own communities now. But here's the thing. A lot of these white guys had harm reduction tools that would help them get themselves together so they can return back to work. They would get beat. They would have people come in and feed them food, get uh, IVs of B, uh, B12, B12. Yeah, things I've of heard this of nature this. to kind of cleanse them out to get them ready. But you have to realize this man can, pay, can afford to pay his assistant or his friend or to get that, right. that, that homeboy that's a, that's a doctor that can come in and do this. But when you're talking about a young guy who stays in Brownsville, Brooklyn, who lives at his mom's house and who just turned he doesn't have 20. any of those resources. He don't have those kind of resources. Michael, you know? you've identified a, a, a really clear and serious threat in this film that, that a lot of people didn't know about. What, what do we do about it? How do we start to reverse this? How do we start to get help to, to this community that now finds itself in the grips of this drug? Well, right now, because I feel that we live in the in the multimedia age, we live in the social media age, the apps, I think having publications, especially gay publications, I've been so disheartened sometimes when I'm like, there's an epidemic going on in my community, and I'm trying to get at least gay publications to talk about what's happening. And sometimes we're more concerned about Nicki Minaj and Cardi B than we are about each other as brothers and sisters being a, becoming addicted and depressed through um, Crystal Matthews or having high rates of HIV infection. And so I really think through multimedia, through apps, through publication, through online media to get everyone involved, to create campaigns about this, and to have an inclusiveness with each other, black, Latino, white, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters under the umbrella of being queer. And we need to help each other and not have such a uh, divide amongst each other based on race and based on desires and things that we like. You know, if you stand outside the the LGBTQ center here in New York on West 13th Street at any given time, you'll see tons of white guys going in and out on their way to CMA meetings. Mm -hmm. How do we get black and brown people into those meetings? Well, I think by having those institutions invite invite people like me, people of color yeah. who have you know, a product like Party Boy, which yes. I not only just talk about crystal meth, I talk about the uh, historic aspect of being black and gay from the emergence of the ballroom scene through Reaganomics dealing with HIV and the AIDS crisis mm -hmm. to exactly what's happening now. And you may not be a black gay guy, but even if you're white, you can relate to some degree to what I have laid out in that documentary. And I would like some of these institutions to invite me in. A lot of times I've called people and people have been reluctant or they say, you know, well, we got a $5,000 fee, but here's my thing. This thing is for the community. Right. So how, if yeah. we have You're not doing this people, to get rich. Right, yeah, if exactly. we have all these young gay, black and, and brown boys and, and girls and trans folk dying of crystal meth addiction and no, we're not taking a serious stand for this, then you know what are we going to do? We need to save each other. Absolutely. Yes. What has been the reaction from your community to this film? Um, it's been good, and it's been somewhat not so good. On one aspect, it's kind of like, why are you exposing what's happening to us? You're, you're telling know? our secrets. You're telling our yeah. secrets, you know. On the other hand, especially when it comes to people who are advocating uh, against this drug and who are trying to be there for our Gen Z and our millennials who are really battling this addiction, they're like, we're so proud of you. You know, you're making moves. Not only are you doing things domestically, I mean, you've traveled internationally to, you know, London and Manchester and Toronto and all these different places where they're starting to have the epidemic happen within those same communities, too. And we're proud of you. We want this to continue on. So... I'm just really wishing gay or straight, uh, our straight alliances, our gay alliances, we all come together, we make a stand for this, and we put it out there and do and get some help for these individuals. The movie is called Party Boy, Black Diamonds and Ice Castles. How yes. can my listeners 
view the movie? Where do they get it? How do they stream it? Well, as of right now, uh, we're working on a distribution deal, so mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Nice. But when you want to get more information, I have t- a ton of private screenings that are happening. You can uh, reach me on all my social media handles at Party Boy. That's boy with an I at Party Boy Documentary on Instagram and Facebook. And if you would like to book a screening for Party Boy, you can reach the project manager for Party Boy. His name is Alvin Woods at Alvin at TheMediaModel.com. And he's great to work with. Michael Rice, thank you so much for being on the show. This is thank fascinating, you. and I wish we had another hour with you, but yes. uh, we'll have you back. Okay, please do. Absolutely. It was so great. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Joanne Filan, JB, Yay. thank you so much for being here. Joanne, nice. you will be back with us in two weeks. I'm so excited. Next week, my co-host will be Jeff Hiller, and our uh, guest will be openly gay pop star Sir Ari Gold. I love you, bitches. Bye. Bye.